Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thanks to Zach, our worship team. Are we not so grateful and glad that we have a worship team that not only are they really good musicians, but they're interested in God's Word. They, they want to bring the gospel to us in song. Isn't that something we should celebrate as a church? Yeah, we can give them a hand. I, I think it's worth it. Is it all right to do that? I just, it's a joy for me personally to worship with them. Uh, Zach and I have talked and other members of the team about how important it is that once we begin that we are not just, the music is not just the fluff before the stuff, it's worship. We are worshiping the risen Lord in song and spiritual hymns. I mentioned to the team, uh, can I go a couple minutes over 30 minutes? Is that okay? It's 11 o'clock. I mentioned to the team as we prayed before the first service is that, that in the early church, uh, spiritual hymns and psalms and singing was a, a big part of what they were doing. And in fact, one of the first encounters we see is when Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi at midnight. What do we find them doing? Do you remember the story? They're singing. And in that moment, in that moment where they're praising the Lord, and listen, they're in the darkness. They can't see. Their feet are shackled. And the Lord shows up and sets them free. And it's in worship and song sometimes that the Lord sets us free. Amen. Amen. So I'm so grateful for our team. So let's worship, continue to worship in the Word, shall we? And today we're going to look at the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul describes in these three chapters how personal spiritual transformation takes place. The word transformation is a good biblical word. I want to see if you can remember with me where it might appear in Scripture. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And Paul's saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be, and here it is, transformed, right? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That English word transformed has the Greek New Testament word behind it, metamorpho-o. Maybe we, you remember how we learned, we get our metamorphosis word from that Greek word, and we've learned how a caterpillar metamorphoses into a butterfly. So we all learned how that occurred, and today I would summarize these three chapters with this caption, how sinners can become saints through the power of God. So we're going to look at these chapters. We're going to look at some detail. We're going to identify some principles. We're going to ask the Lord to apply them to our lives today. And here's the big picture of this book. It's six chapters long. The first three chapters tell us in summary, and our pastor really exposited on this last week in great de detail, amazing detail. It tells us this, what God has done for us, it's in your notes, and if you're a note taker, by the way, I've given you an extra blessing today. It's front and back. It tells us what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And oh, what he's done for us, church. He's transformed us. He's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. He's sealed us. He's made us alive. Maybe most importantly, he gifted saving grace to us. So these first three chapters are just filled with, they're replete with all the things that God has done for us in Christ. 
that we could have never done for ourselves. But when we start to look into first chapter 4, there's a turn that happens. It goes from doctrine. It goes from the things that God has done for us. Now it goes into this, how we should live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. So with that framework, as we talk about what God has done for us in the first three chapters, and now as Paul shifts to what we should do in living out our lives, I want to give you a warning today. May I highlight a danger? Anytime we read or teach or focus on one of the passages of the Bible that talks about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to do, the trajectory of our life. Anytime we talk and focus on a passage that pertains to that, there's a danger. Because if we disconnect that, if we disconnect that behavior from all that God has done for us, then I think the ESV Bible study note on this chapter gets it right when it says this. It says the exhortations of Scripture become empty moralism without the gospel foundation. That goes before. There's 41 imperatives in, included in these three chapters. There's many things the Apostle Paul is telling us how we should live out our lives. But we have to be aware there's a danger here. I looked at an article this week from Dr. Al Mohler from Southern Seminary entitled Moral or titled Moralism is Not the Gospel. And he says this, it's worth a read. He says, the essence of moralism is the belief that we can achieve righteousness by means of proper behavior. So in other words, you do this, you do this, you do this. And somehow what we do puts us in right standing with God. Dr. Moeller goes on to say, however, we are justified by faith alone. Saved by grace alone and redeemed from our sin by Christ alone. Boy, Debbie, wouldn't Larry love that? Moralism produces sinners who are just better behaved. The gospel of Christ is what transforms sinners into the adopted sons and daughters of God. So here's your next outline, uh, outline note. It just means that to repent and believe, to turn from our sin and trust what God has done for us in Christ and to personally follow him and trust him. That's how we should respond initially to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of the moral exhortations that follow, how we ought to live in Christ, in grace, excuse me, and it should be a response in gratitude to all that he's done. There's a couple of sociologists that have come up with a worldview. It's amazing how many worldviews are out there, right? And here's this worldview. It says this, if you're good enough, if you're kind enough, fair enough, I'm thinking of a Saturday Night Live episode. I'm dating myself here, right? Good people go to heaven when they die. 
The term they use to describe this worldview is moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism because it postulates a creator, but this creator is far removed from his creation. He's an observer. He's not daily interacting with us in our personal lives. He's not walking with us through life. It's therapeutic because the worldview says, this worldview, that the ultimate goal is to be happy. To feel good about yourself. And it's moralistic because the path to being happy, that the path to feeling good about yourself is you just be good, you be nice, you be fair. It's your behavior. When you feel good about yourself, all is well. And one day God will welcome you into heaven. There's a warning here with that view. I mentioned this in the second service. I haven't heard the Hutto trains for a while. Do you, are they still going? I mean, everybody said they're still going, right? And when you hear that whistle blow and you see those crossbars come down and the lights are flashing, it's warning us that, hey, don't cross here because a train wreck might happen. My warning to you today, beloved church, is there's a warning. My warning is you. If you think that you can be good enough and fair enough that that's going to justify you before a God, a living God. Listen, it's possible that you've gone to church all your life. It's possible that you've gone to this church from the beginning. It's possible that maybe that you've gone to men's and women's Bible studies and combined Bible studies. It's possible that you've hosted backyard Bible clubs and you've given regularly and attend regularly. You volunteer. But somehow, if somebody were to ask you today, you would still say a similar thing. You would say the essential message of the gospel and of the church is be good, be nice, be fair, treat other people the way you would want to be treated. All that, if you do that, it'll lead to you being happy. And one day, if you're happy and all is well, you'll go to heaven. I just want to say to you, I want to, I wish you could pretend that all those train warning lights are happening right now. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about our attempts to be nice and good and fair because our sin has twisted and distorted and tainted everything about us so that our fairness, our niceness and goodness is never good enough to stand before a holy God. Don't be good enough to go to hell. The only way we're accepted before a holy God is because of what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's why we must repent and believe. Do you see the difference? I don't want you to leave here today, beloved church, and believe that living a good life will make you right with God. I want you to leave here and be a wholehearted follower of Jesus for God's glory and for your great good. 
Well, on that foundation, then we're going to read about what the Apostle Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 4. Recently, I've been reading the pastoral epistles, and I've been reminded that part of public worship is the reading of Scripture. Don't you love that Zach read Scripture? I love that. I love that Riley was quoting Scripture in his, basically, in his prayer for us. And so, I'd like you to read Scripture with me today. Would you do that? And what I want us to do, and I know it's not our normal practice, but I'd like for us to stand. I want to invite you to stand, if you're able, in honor of reading God's Word. And what I'd like to do is there'll be some passages on the screen. I'll read the first passages. They'll be in the lighter font. And then I would invite you to read with me the other passages that are in bold print. And I want us to read Scripture together today as an act of public worship. Is that okay? I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read verse 1, and then you guys will read 2 through 3 with me. Here we go. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. That's an important word in the rest of our time together. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then please read with me verses 2 through 3. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, eager to maintain unity, bond of peace. We're going to go to verse 17, and I'll read these first few verses. And Paul's going to go back to this major metaphor. Verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer, and there's that word again, walk. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Please read with me verses 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ. We're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off our belongs to your former life. It's corrupt through deceitful desire. And to be renewed in the spirit. And to put on a new self. Create the likeness of God. True righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for doing that with me today, for reading that. And by the way, these are the most important words that will be spoken in this church today. And so, Lord, would you please add your blessing to our reading, to our hearing, to our understanding, to the application and obedience to your word. Holy Spirit, would you move in your people through the power of your God-breathed, timeless, eternal word. You may be seated. There's four big takeaways in this passage today. Here's the first one. This chapter teaches us that lasting transformation typically occurs a step at a time as we learn to walk with Jesus. 
That word walk, this is an important metaphor that's Paul using. He uses it throughout these chapters. And there's some bullet points in your notes that I want to call your attention to about some of the the way he used that metaphor. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in verse 17. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, walk in love. The kind of love that believes all things, that bears all things, that hopes all things, endures all things. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, walk as children of light. And then verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So the notion is, is that personal transformation that is lasting typically occurs incrementally over time. So that the progress that is made can be conserved and anchored into our life patterns. So that the growth builds upon itself one step at a time. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'll tell you how I feel about it sometimes. I wish there were a silver bullet instead. I wish there was a switch to flip when I get up in the morning. I wish there was a pill that I could take. I wish there was a shot that could be given. I wish there was a conference to attend. I wish there was a book that I could read. I wish there was an interaction that I could have. I wish there was an experience to engage so that I can go from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity and fullness in Christ in one fell swoop. But that's not what God intends. That's not what his word teaches Instead, he, he teaches us not to trust ourselves, but to trust Christ, to walk with him. I love the song in the garden. He walks with us, right? He speaks to us and he tells us that we are his own. And as we walk, we make progress, but it's one step at a time. Can I ask you guys this? How many of you get your exercise by walking? Can I see your hands? Does anybody walk for exercise? Yeah, it's a great exercise. Healthy, low impact. Some of you might say to me today, well, Pastor Mike, man, it's been a while since I've walked. (laughs) So I don't know. Uh, I could give it a shot, but maybe you might try it for a little bit. And you, you, you could ask me, well, what difference does that make? And I would say, not much. But let me ask you this. If tomorrow you got up, And not fast walking, and this is not an infomercial, (laughs) but you were to amble, not walk fast, but amble for 30 minutes. And if you amble along for 30 minutes, you should be able to go one mile. So if you did it tomorrow, if you stopped after tomorrow, it wouldn't make much difference. But if you did it tomorrow, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then Thursday, and let's say you walked for 90 days in a row, you have walked to San Antonio. That's progress, right? 
And if you do that for 12 months in a a row, if you amble one mile every day and you walk for 12 months, you will have entered the promised land of red earth, Oklahoma City. (laughs) Do you like that? Do you like that, Ben? (laughs) If you do it for a little over three years, guess what? You'll have walked all the way to Chicago. How do you get there? It's one step at a time. It's incremental. You walk along this journey. There's another reason I love this imagery too. Because it's consistent with Jesus' call when he said, follow me. Have you ever noticed what it's like when your children first walk? They stumble along, they fall. It's like that with us as followers of Christ. We stumble sometimes. We need a hand up. We need someone to reach out and bring us back to the path. Sometimes we wander far. Sometimes in our walk, it's the dark nights of the soul. Sometimes in our walk, it's through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes in our walk, we're on the top of a mountain where everything is crystal clear and the beauty and the majesty of the living God is so apparent and we have intimate fellowship with him in that moment. But there's sometimes in our walk that it's like being in a dense fog where you can't see the next step. But through it all, the promise that Christ gives us is I won't leave you. There's nothing that can separate me from you in this walk. I am with you until the end of the age. Do you see the message here? Paul is saying, look, transformation doesn't occur overnight. We don't go from here to there in a moment. We do it one step at a time. The second goal, second takeaway here is the goal of personal transformation is maturity in Christ. This is so clear from this passage. It's in your notes. It says our goal, Paul says, is to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The next bullet point, I love this verse. He says we're to grow up. Paul's saying grow up. In every way into him who is the head into Christ. Some of us need to grow up. You're no longer an adolescent. (laughs) You're no longer a child. It's time to put that aside and become full grown spiritually. And how do you define spiritual maturity? Well, I really would suggest you to write in in that simple definition I gave you at the bottom of that first page of your notes. It really simply means this is to be more and more like Jesus. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 8. He says it's to be conformed to the image of his son. So as we walk this journey towards spiritual, personal transformation, and the goal is, is that to be more like Christ, in that walk that we're making every day, there's things that we need to lay aside that are not like Christ. Christ. 
and embrace the things that are. So there's three elements this chapter reveals that God uses to bring about personal spiritual transformation. So the second page of your notes, and here they are. The first one is authentic community. It's relationships with other believers in the body of Christ, the church. We heard our pastor Trey talk about all the things that we are making available the men's and women's Bible study. Community groups are getting ready to kick off. Our pastor and his wife are going to do a, a teaching on how to be good parents. Our desire is for all those things to be made available to you. And, and I can tell you, and, and you may say, well, why? Why is that important? Well, first of all, because Pastor Trey loves his church. He loves you. His desire is to see you grow into full maturity of Christ. But the second thing he knows, this is more important, even than his love for you. The second thing is that when you have that kind of authentic community, you will find encouragement. You will find accountability. Whenever you choose to connect with other believers in a meaningful way, whether it's worship in small group, whether it's a Bible study, when you're close enough to someone or retreat to have conversation just naturally, if they're pursuing the same goal that you are to be more mature in Christ, there will be accountability. There will be encouragement that occurs. The second element that God uses is truth. Of course, we know that truth is in Scripture, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. What he's focusing on is the truth that we hear from others in community who speak the truth in love to us. They're willing to speak the truth in love to us because they love us. They care about us. They want the best for us. They're committed to our good. They're not here today and gone tomorrow. They don't bring malice or ill will. They're not intending to wound us or trip us up or harm us. We trust them because we know them. And we invite them to speak truth in love. Why? So that we can grow up. But you know what the deal is with almost every one of us? We have a hard time, do we not? Even from those that we love, even from those that we know best, even from those that we know don't intend us harm, even from those that we know that will speak that truth in us to love, we have a hard time inviting them and allowing them to speak and really to hear them when they speak to us. It reminds me of the lady who was on a trip to Europe with her girlfriends. It was a girl's trip of a lifetime. Her trip was almost over. She calls her husband back at home. They had a good conversation. Before she got off the phone, she asked him, well, honey, tell me, how's my cat? And he said, well, the cat's dead. She, she was so upset. She said, honey, you should have not said that just like that to me. 
You shouldn't be so abrupt. You shouldn't be so direct and honest. You have ruined my trip. And he said, well, what should I have said? And she said, well, I think today, when I ask you about the cat, you should have said, the cat is on the roof. <laughs> and when I call from Paris, you should say, the cat's acting funny. And when I get to London, you should say, I think the cat is sick. And when I get to New York, you should say the cat is at the vet. And when I finally get back home, you should tenderly take me aside and love and say, honey, I'm sorry, but the cat is dead. Well, he said, well, I've never heard anything like that. I, I guess I'll try. <laughs> I think I can do that. And so then she says, well, honey, before I let you go, how's my mom? <laughs> he said, she's on the roof. Are you close enough spiritually? Are you close enough to anybody that you will allow them to speak the truth to you in love into your life for the purpose of spiritual growth? The third element God uses is service. We grow when we use our gifts to serve others in the body of Christ in Jesus' name. As I look out this morning to us, I see many people, several people that use their gifts in such a way. But I see some of you, and I don't know this, only God knows, but I don't know what your gift is. But can I just share with you this morning, beloved member and attender, that we need you. <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ needs you. Not because his mission has not been done or will be done but because for you, for, for his greater glory and for your good, we need your gifts. When you serve with your gifts in the body of Christ, it doesn't allow you to be egocentric or focused on yourself. So God used these three elements, authentic community, truth and service, typically to help us grow as we walk incrementally over time with Christ. So what's the specific process? It's in your notes, and the transformation process God uses including, includes three steps. They're simple. They're outlined in verses 22 and 23 and 24. And my goodness, are these verses power-packed? And I, I share with you, church, if you will put them into practice, it will lead to change. It will lead to transformation in your life. Here's the first step. Put off your old self. Put it off. You identify the attitudes, the habits, the practices, the behaviors, the patterns that do not glorify God. Not best for you. You put them off. 
You intentionally lay them aside. This is where our human responsibility meets the sovereignty of God. This is where we act in gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. Here's the second step. is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And I love the way the Apostle Paul, the order he puts these in. He sandwiches this in the middle of the put off and the put on. And the reason I believe he did this is this is entirely a work of the Holy Spirit. Because I want you to watch this. Lasting change does not occur when you make it because someone, somebody else is insisting you do something. Someone else is insisting that you make that change. That won't last. Lasting change will occur when God, by His Spirit, changes your mind about an attitude, a behavior, or a pattern. And you'll actually see it differently. And you'll say, wow, Lord. You're right. I see that now. I see that that attitude or that behavior or that pattern, I see that it's not good for me. I see that it doesn't honor you. I see that it's not good for my marriage or my family. So that I lay that aside. You have a change of mind. And step three then is you put on the new self. You see, it's never enough just to leave behind the old. You must put on the new. So in the remainder of this chapter, the Apostle Paul does it this way. He gives several examples of what that looks like, what to put off, what to put on. It's in the bottom of page two in your notes. He says, put off falsehood. Stop lying to yourself, to others. He says, put on truthfulness. He says, put off stealing. And how about this? He says, put on an honest work. (laughs) He says, put off corrupting talk in verse 29. Instead, put on words that build up. And this is such a specific imperative. The Apostle Paul is teaching us in that verse that if what you're getting ready to say doesn't build up, doesn't fit the occasion, Or in part grace, don't talk. Don't say it. He says, put off being callous and hard-hearted. Instead, be tender-hearted. He says, put off bitterness and wrath and anger. And beloved, I I would imagine that in this room, that many of you have just cause to be bitter. That many of you have just cause to be angry. That life, people have disappointed you. Maybe someone even in the church. And you may be saying to the Lord, well, don't you know about that? <laughs> what he's saying to us is I've got that. I have your bitterness. I have your anger. I took it with me and I nailed it to the cross. And I provided a way for you to be free from that. I've given you freedom. 
Paul's saying, instead of that, be kind to one another. Do you see what's going on here? The Apostle Paul is saying to folks that he loves in Ephesus, he's saying, God wants to transform you and me. One step at a time. So as we wrap up today, here's my question. And my question is for you. What is the next, what is the one next step that you can identify in your spiritual transformation process, your own personal transformation? What is the one next step that God would have you take? And then here's a real key question. Are you willing to take it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for encouraging us and teaching us and giving us hope that our tomorrows can be different from our todays. That the work that you've begun in us is not done. That that work that you've begun in us in Christ, you will complete. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for this church family that I love so dearly. That their personal spiritual transformation will continue to occur as they rest and trust in all that you have done for them in Christ Jesus. And as an expression of our gratitude and love to you and, and what you've and what you've done for us, we say to you, oh Lord, change our lives for your glory and for our good. And Lord, this is our prayer today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As you read those three chapters this week, I encourage you as, as you read what the what the Apostle Paul wrote as he was carried by the winds of the Holy Spirit. He's writing these ways that we can live out our lives. But knowing that what he's telling us to do there can only be accomplished in light of the gratitude of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So as you read those chapters and the word of God will do what it says it will do, my encouragement to you is that no matter where you are in your walk, whether you're on that mountain at this moment and things are very clear, whether you're in the valley of the shadow in the darkest night of your soul, or whether you're even in a fog and you don't know what the next steps may be, my encouragement to you is remember you're not alone. <laughs> that He is with you. That He will never leave you or forsake you. And as you take one step at a time and walk one step at a time, that progress is being made. God will not leave you. He will complete the work that he's begun in your life. And as you go, as you walk, as we walk out of here today, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance this day and give you his peace.